thank you again so much for being with us today. Um, it's, it's my pleasure to, to fill in as, uh, as we look at Colossians chapter 3. So you guys can be turning there right now. Now I'm going to add a little bit of a disclaimer. Colossians chapter 3 verses 18 through uh, chapter 4 verse 1 is where we're going to be at today is about God's domestic design. And instead of getting a guy who has 24 years of marriage and family life experience, you got a guy who has 24 years of experience of life. Okay? So I'm going to approach this text very humbly and ask that you extend some grace as, uh, as we look at it. But um, in, in all seriousness... I stand solidly on the Word of God, and that's what we're going to look at today. Not maybe, um, I, you know, I'll talk about some of my experiences uh, in the roles that I can relate to in this scripture, but uh, but want to want to point everyone to the Word of God and stand on that, and, and not preach something that that proceeded from me, but something that that God is showing us in His Word. So that's what what our focus is going to be at today. If you were here with us last week, we walked through the beginning part of of. Uh, Colossians chapter three, and kind of as a framework of where we've been, where we've been, and where we're going. Paul starts the letter to the church at Colossae with uh, a lot of it's just gospel heavy. Um, he, he's thankful for the believers, and then he talks about um, just gives us some really some meat on the truth of the gospel of who Jesus is, and then he, he goes into um, some instructions about kind of the, the the way that the gospel transforms us from a character standpoint. And then today it gets really practical with some some life advice and 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 how God is instructing us to live in the context of a relationship. Now, this isn't just love your neighbor as yourself type relationships. These are the hardest relationships in our life that we're addressing today. Because it's easy for us to be someone that we're not to people who are just acquaintances. But these verses address the people who are in and out of our lives on the day-to-day. People who um, you know, we uh, work with, people that uh, we're married to, people that we give birth to. So um, these are the relationships that uh, are, the, are the closest to home and the ones where we're being called to live out the gospel. And so our main point for today is, drumroll, let's live out the gospel in all of our relationships Especially the hard ones. I think the parentheses need to be added there to the, to the especially the hard ones. Because, um, like I said, it's easy for us maybe to, to live out the gospel towards an acquaintance. Um, it, as, we, as we just, you know, um, maybe just broadly proclaim it. Uh, if you've been on a week-long mission trip before and, and uh, you know, you're not getting to know people super well. You're just kind of broadly proclaiming the gospel. They probably think things about you um, that might not be accurate. Or they're not getting the full picture of who you are. But what's so beautiful about the people who are in deeply with us in relationship like family members um, or co-workers they see us even more at our worst and so it's a, it's a, it really is a, a picture of how we are to live this 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 uh, this passage is a picture of how we are to live in relationship with with those people who we are closest to who the who see the real us and uh, if you remember last week, we talked about how the gospel leads us to bear with one another, forgive, to put on love, to live sacrificially, to die to ourselves. All of these, these components of the gospel that, that Christ displayed for us in his life, Paul is asking they take root and effect in our lives. And then he starts giving us some instruction that all of the, all the instruction that he gives today that we will read in, in verses 18 through 1 uh, are to be redemptive in nature. They're, 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 the restoration is at the heart of them. 
<coughs> so let me uh, before before I uh, I get too much into it, let's let's go ahead and read through, uh, starting at verse eighteen. It says, "Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord." Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Okay, just because it's it's Father's Day, men in the audience, after we read that first verse in 18, you can't just puff your chest out and say, Oh, it says, wives, submit to your husbands, right? Because you're setting yourself up. You were setting yourself up, okay? Because you know what comes before the fall. Pride, right? Um, we're gonna we're gonna take a look at Ephesians five in a minute, um, but but here's the, the the nature of these verses that we're about to go through. If you isolate any of them, any one of these verses, if you isolate them, you're setting yourself up to be in an imbalanced relationship because these kind of counter each other. And so at a at a at a minimum, you're going to be in an imbalanced relationship. At a maximum, uh, you could be subscribing to compliant abuse. And here's what I mean by that. In, uh, in, in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, Jesus is preparing his disciples at the Last Supper, and he just washed their feet. And this is what he said to him. He said, A new commandment I give unto you, to love others as I have loved you. That's different than love your neighbor as yourself. That's love others as I have loved you. Jesus died for us. Jesus humbled himself to the point of becoming man when he was, had equality with God. And the only way that we're going to have the capacity to love people that way is if we're connected to Christ. And if we're loving people through him and because of him and in light of the gospel. So the new command for us as believers is to love people as Jesus loved them. An impossible task for us, but only possible with his dynamic involvement in our life. It kind of it kind of uh, reshaped the way, and, and also, as I said earlier, reconciliation is at the heart of this. Re- restoration is at the heart of this. Um, this kind of transformed the way that I viewed uh, the passage about turning the other cheek. You know, a lot of times we like to reference that, and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about, um, you know, if someone strikes you, give your give your other cheek to them. And for the longest time, I thought that meant. Uh, to allow them to strike you again. And, and Jesus is not telling us to be compliant in abuse. What he's telling us is, turn the other cheek so that they may kiss it. So that the relationship might be restored. If someone does wrong to you, seek to make it right. Seek to have restoration. It doesn't mean, and, and, and that's not saying that, that we're not subject to persecution for the name of Christ. And that's not saying that we're going to come out with the, with the short end of the stick sometimes in relationships because of our conviction in the gospel. What it means is that always leave a road 
for restoration. Always leave a road for reconciliation in all of these relationships in your life. Because I'm sure that there are multiple people in this room who are experiencing some sort of brokenness or misfunction in the relationships that we're going to talk about today. And so keep in mind, in light of this, that, that the command that Jesus gives us from John 13 is going gonna, is gonna to be interwoven so much into the things that we talk about today. And so, back to wives being submissive to their husbands. Headship, by definition, is not domineering. It's acknowledging spiritual responsibility. So some of the, the men in the room, we can kind of we can kind of come down a little bit. Like, okay, this is this is spiritual responsibility. This means we take ownership for. As Ephesians five will tell us in a minute that we'll read, it's talking about mirroring Christ in the church. It is a picture of the gospel on full display. That the heart of marriage is to communicate the gospel and what Jesus is doing in us. And this is, this is addressing wives, too. This is addressing wives and husbands in the context of a marriage relationship. This isn't necessarily talking about women and men in a professional environment or women and men in any other capacity other than a marriage. And so in, in order to, to, to contextualize that, that is the intent of the passage and that who, is who Paul is talking to. And if we rewind, too, we look back at Genesis chapter 3. We all know what happened with the tree in the garden, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve was deceived, but Adam was complicit in it because he was standing there. And they start playing the blame game. Well, God, it was your fault. No, it was the serpent's fault. No, it was the woman's fault that you gave me. And so from that point, no one wanting to take ownership, human history becomes unraveled. Right? Everything is messed up right there in Genesis chapter 3. And the rest of the entire Bible is about how it's re-raveled and how God is restoring and reconciling people to himself and making it right again. And so that's how we have to view this passage. That God is making things right that went horribly wrong. And of course we bear the consequences of that decision and we, and we live that reality every day. But Christ came to make all things new. So then in verse 19, uh, it's, it's towards husbands. It says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In other words, be gentle. Right? We're acknowledging women as, as, uh, as, as the more fragile vessel, as, as the display of God's radiance and beauty, and men as God's display of strength and, and uh, just bruteness, I guess. <laughs> and... Um, Gentleness, loving gentleness, is not passivity. It's not passivity. And and and, and also, as I mentioned in my disclaimer, I, I I have a very idealistic perspective of this because I'm not yet married. And so, a lot of you guys who are who have been at this for a while are laughing at me because I'm a total rookie. Um. But I, I've learned so much as, we, as we've talked through this and navigated this through premarital counseling and all. And um, it's kind of funny. Caroline was receiving, she's my fiance, uh, was receiving an award at the university uh, for, um, it, it, it's called their Premier Awards. And I was super proud of her and was sitting in the back of the room with her family as she was you know, being honored by these university administrators and a lot of people in the room who were way more important than I'll ever be. 
and uh, she's making you know thank yous to everyone. And uh, you know, my name comes up. She's saying, "I'd like to thank Jacob, my fiance." He's uh, the best looking guy in the room. And so, you know, my, my, my chest puffed up and all eyes shot to me in the room. I was like, all right, all right. And she goes, and the next line was, and he's not afraid of a fight. And, uh, and everybody was kind of like, what? <laughs> what does that mean? And uh, I was like, no, 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 like, I feel like I need to, like, validate myself and stand up and explain. You know, like, she, she's referencing one of our favorite artists. You know, uh, there's a guy named John Mark McMillan, and uh, he, he has a, a live album in, in, in which uh, he does a, uh, he, he's the guy who wrote How He Loves. Um, so it's a, you know, become an anthem now of the church. But uh, he, he talks about his favorite love song these days is a song called Tougher Than the Rest. It's an 80s song by Bruce Springsteen, if you remember it. Um, has very little spiritual value, but um, he took it to mean that um, he and his wife were celebrating their 11th wedding anniversary, and he talked about how she was tougher than the rest, and she wasn't going to back down from a fight. Not a fight with each other, but a fight for each other. Because as, as one of my friends wisely put it one time, he said, you know, there are some days when marriage feels like the best thing that you've ever done, and then other days it feels like the only reason that you should stay together is because of Jesus. And uh, I thought that was such a such a great piece of advice as as we you know head into this season, um, and uh, it, you know it, it kept me pretty humble there in the midst of uh, of that company when Caroline made that comment, uh, but but I deeply I deeply appreciated it, um, and, and I knew what what she meant by that um, that uh, that hopefully I communicated to her that I wasn't that I wasn't going to be a passive leader in our relationship that I was going to be someone who was willing to fight. And uh, someone who wasn't... Because ultimately, uh, Satan wants to get in the midst of these relationships and rip you apart through them, right? He wants to attack everything that God has set up in his design. Uh, and, and so I thought that was just a, a beautiful picture uh, of that and, and, and how it's supposed to look. Um, and granted, uh, I know that... Uh, that that day will come when that's tested, when when I want to stand by and and, uh, and 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 sort of passively let something enter our relationship that, that I need to actively be um, addressing. And it's kind of funny. I I, I asked, uh, I took Bill out for lunch. That's Caroline's dad, and uh, many of you know Bill, and he's a great guy. Um, but when you're dating his daughter, it can be a little intimidating. And so uh, I took him out to lunch, and uh, he knew it was coming. Of course, he was my campus minister through college, and so we were really close. Um, but it's still, like, my hands were shaking uh, <laughs> when I was trying to finish my lunch. And, and I asked him, you know, I said, uh, Bill, um, can, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? I said, and if your answer is yes, this is the dangerous part. If your answer is yes, can I have your wisdom and how to move forward? And, uh, of course, he goes, yeah. He goes, but here's my piece of advice to you. He said, y'all need to learn how to fight fair. I said, wow. And uh, th- th- that's been something that, uh, that you know, we've, we've been able to work through and talk about. But, you know, he was there as a, uh, as a witness to our relationship. And uh, he knew that that was an area where Satan would try to attack us, you know, when we disagreed on something or, um, you know, that, that both of us are so strong-willed and uh, both of us, uh, you know, uh, get so entrenched in our positions that we need to learn how to fight for each other rather than against each other. Um, and, and that's proven to be such a good piece of advice. But anyways, all of that is to illustrate what Paul is saying here in terms of 
everything that you do within your marriage, everything that you do within these hard relationships should be pointing back towards restoration and reconciliation. And, and that doesn't mean, as we said, to be complicit in abuse, but to strive to have a balance because both people are striving to live out the gospel. That's why Paul says it's so important to be equally yoked. Uh, someone who's spiritually walking alongside of you and both striving to honor God in their relationship. And again, all that to say, I'm very much a rookie. Um, one, of, one of my favorite books uh, on, on this topic that I'd, I'd like to, to kind of point you to some resources today because um, I know that this is a lot to cover in just a sermon. Uh, but I, I just got finished reading a book by Donald Miller. It's called Scary Close. And uh, it's, it's just about achieving intimacy. And uh, in, in the speech that John Mark McMillan gives, he talks about how we as a culture are enamored with the novelty of love. So, you know, love at first sight or uh, the, the warm and fuzzies you get at the beginning of a relationship. But he says this. He says, intimacy is way better than novelty. Intimacy is where we get when we get past the external face and we get into the roots of who we really are. Um, and so uh, this book talks about intimacy. It's called Scary Close by Donald Miller. I would highly recommend it. It's a great book. So... All that to say, our application for married or soon-to-be-married folks like myself is to live out the gospel in all of our relationships, especially the hard ones. So verse 20, moving on, it says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Even when they say, I told you so. Because I told you so. Um, I, that was that was the question that drove me nuts because all all the time as a child I wanted to know why you know, Jacob do this why because I said so how many anybody have moms or dads that do that to you oh yeah Sam in the back he was the first one to go up um, because I told you so um, for those of you who are looking maybe for the caveat in this scenario um, as the exception this was written to Christian households. Um, and so, you know, if you, if you were fortunate enough to grow up with Christian and godly parents, hopefully everything that they told you to do was reflective of God's word and was pointing you to it. And so maybe the only caveat in this scenario to not obey your parents is if it is clearly in violation of God's law um, and, and in violation of scripture. Um, and, and to which, to that situation, um, you know, you, you have to be uh, ultimately obedient to God's word primarily. And, uh, even to those who were raised in Christian households and were fortunate enough to have Christians who honor and love the Lord, um, you, you still have to bear with your parents and forgive them and put on love uh, towards them because your parents love you unconditionally, right? Or at least they're called to. It's one of the few relationships that we have in our life where there's unconditional love present. Because... You belong to them. You're an extension of them. You know, we, we can kind of maybe draw some lines in the sand with our other relationships and say, here's some boundaries. But with our parents, they love us unconditionally, right? And so um, in light of that, uh, we are called to obey our parents. That one's going to come up today at lunch, boys and girls in the audience. I'm just, just calling a spoiler alert because it definitely would at my house. So if you don't want to do the dishes today, you're not in luck. 
or if you don't, uh, you know, if you don't want to uh, to obey what your parents are telling you, the scripture is going to come up pretty quick. And also, there's a promise attached to it too. If you remember elsewhere in the Bible, it talks about um, that God rewards those with long life who honor their parents. Obviously, um, that's that's a um, that's a principle, and, and, and not so much a hard set promise because ultimately God has numbered our days. But but God promises us with long life if we honor our parents. So fathers, in verse 21, today's your day, so we're going to take it easy on you. Um, it says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Again, I admit, fatherhood can look very idealistic from my perspective, having not been a father yet. You know, I can easily picture myself, you know, throwing the ball in the yard with my son, or having that you know, man-to-man conversation with the guy who wants to come and date my daughter or taking her out on daddy-daughter dates. and um, it, it can all look so fantasized in my head and I can't wait for fatherhood. But I know that there are days, just because I've witnessed it in my own house, that um, fatherhood can take you to your limits. Um, that, that parenting can take you to your limits. Um, that really the only reason to continue loving your children is Jesus. <laughs> As we've talked about. And so here's the, here's the encouragement that, that I would give you um, as fathers and as parents. I think that um, the responsibility for fathers is so great. Because that's the same name that we cry out to God with, right? And so much of um, how we view God is shaped by how our earthly fathers were. And for some people, that can, that can kind of wreck their theological view of who God is because in the first moment, and, and that's something that Jesus emphasized so much, was that we can start addressing God as Father because of what he did for us. Automatically, pe- people might think, well, that means that God is absent, or that means that God is abusive, or that means that um, you know, God's a deadbeat, Right? And there's so much damage that, that, um, that we as men can create in, in terms of shaping someone's, a child's view of who God is um, by not being a good parent. So no pressure, right? Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a huge responsibility to bear. But um, I heard something that was, it was said by my pastor. I think it's, uh, it, it, it's published somewhere. I don't know who to give it credit to. Um, but my pastor said one time uh, when I was a kid growing up that, that kind of changed my perspective on this topic. He said, God is not the, God is the perfection of not the reflection of your earthly father. But God is a perfect father. Nobody in this room would say they had a perfect earthly father, Right? Even as great as my dad has been and still is in my life, I would, I, you know, I, his flaws are pretty obvious. And I mainly can identify them because they come up in my life too. Because I can start to see I'm becoming uh, very much the man that he is. And um, in a lot of ways that's good, but other ways I see like, oh, like this is what it was like for my dad to be 24 years old. Or this is what it was like for my dad to go through high school. I, I see the pressures now. I see the, uh, the issues. I see the tension. And, um, you know, and, and we, we can't project who our earthly father is too much onto who God is because we have to acknowledge that God is a perfect father. My dad also embodied do not provoke your children so well. Um, he had patience that was a mile long 
But once, once I wore that fuse out, there was an eruption <laughs> of discipline. And it was good. It was because he loved me. You know, in, in Hebrews, you know, Paul talks about how a loving father is one who disciplines. And uh, when, when, when I hit that point, though, you know, he made sure to, to set it right, and then it was over. And it may be a little bit different, uh, you know, from my mom. I would get constant, you know, reminders or constant things said. But dad would just kind of sit back. But when it hit the point where he needed to be involved, it was the last time it happened, right? (laughs) Um, And that's not to say that dad overstepped his bounds and disciplined us at all. He did a great job of it. Um, But ultimately, uh, he loved me by disciplining me. Um, And and so do not provoke your children here, I think, is is talking about how we discipline in the same nature that that God disciplines us as sons and, and, and how God fathers us. For those of you in the room who, who maybe um, didn't have a, a dad present in your life, um, and, and maybe uh, maybe I feel like I, you feel like I'm speaking right to you when I talk about this issue of um, how you view God in light of having an absent father. I've, there's a couple of resources I'd like to to recommend for you. There's a book uh, by a guy named John Eldridge. It's called Fathered by God. It's a great, great resource. Another one, uh, just in seeing God's heart in fatherhood, is a book called Prodigal God by Tim Keller, in which he kind of he dissects and breaks down God's role as father through the story of the prodigal son, uh, and it's a it's a great resource to look at as well. All right, so moving along, uh, we, we've, we've just touched all of the, um, most of the, fu- uh, the family dynamics that, that Paul wants to speak into. Um, next, we get into bond servants in verse 22, or in some translations it says slaves. Now, I will contend here, too, uh, that for us as 21st century Americans, we have a little bit, war- uh, a little bit of a warped view um, because slavery, by an American definition, is very different. It's contextually and categorically different than what Paul is referring to in first century church and in Roman culture especially. Um, you know, whether they were captive people groups or um, whether uh, it, was, it was by voluntary service as a, as a, as a means to make a living, uh, bond servants were very much a part of the household. And uh, if you recall from the Old Testament too, the story of Joseph in Potiphar's house, you know, he's an esteemed part of making the family run. Um, and, and so, it, when he's refer- this is a lot of people will come to the Bible with some big questions, and, and this passage probably comes under attack most uh, because uh, at face value you might think, okay, the Bible is misogynistic, or the Bible is pro-slavery, and if we if we read it devoid of the context, then yes, we might think that. But that's not at all what the Bible is saying here. The Bible is not justifying institutions uh, that exploit people. It's speaking to roles of society um, that are different from our day and age. And uh, we, we, I, think, I think the best way to, to translate this and the best way to um, contemporarily put a lens on this uh, is this is addressing a uh, maybe employee-to-employer relationship, right? So rather than, than bond-servant, um, we're, we're looking at the employer-to-employee dynamic. Now, Paul does refer to himself so much uh, as, as a bond-servant of Christ, and that's the reason why for later in the verse it talks about um, our inheritance. And he says, you were serving the Lord Christ. And, and uh, you know, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. He's speaking about his 
bond servitude or his slavery to Christ, whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light, as he tells us in the Gospels. And so uh, this Greek word doulos, uh, his, uh, Paul uses to describe himself as a bondservant of Christ. And so as we, as we look at this uh, from, from uh, a first century context and also from our current context, let's, uh, let's read through this. It says, Slaves or bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So this, uh, this phrase of not by way of eye service means not according to the flesh. How many country songs can we name in this room about telling your boss off or, um, you know, I, I think about automatically, I think about Five O'Clock Somewhere by Alan Jackson. Um, he says, uh, my boss just pushed me over the limit. Uh, I'd call him something, but I think I'll just call it a day. And so I think that that, that kind of embodies the, the cultural um, feeling that we have towards those who are in authority over us, right? Um, that, and, and, and maybe you have a great boss um, who, uh, you know, who treats you very fairly and justly, as we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but in terms of responding to our employers or responding to those who are in authority, authority over us, Paul is saying, do it in light of the gospel, and not according to the flesh. So according to the flesh, we might respond with um, maybe angst, or we might respond with trying to um, you know, take shortcuts because our boss is incompetent, or um, you know, we might not work as hard as we're supposed to. And, and, and I think that we're forfeiting a great Christian responsibility when we do that. Because the next verse says, Work as for the Lord and not for men. See, meaningful vocation is an important part of Christian worship. Meaningful vocation is an integral part of Christian worship. You know, I just thought, you know, coming this morning on Sunday morning to journey is, a, is a, all that there is to worship. It's so much more than that. It has a lot to do with these hard relationships. We worship God by honoring those in our family. We worship God by honoring our employer. And again, this isn't me saying you have to be complicit in uh, things that are done to you that are unjust or unfair. This is saying that you should have a distinction about you. That there should be something different and noticeable about your life and how you relate in a workplace capacity. It's something that I'm challenged by every day. There's a, um, there's a church planner in, in Maine who I admired so much when, when I spent some time in Portland uh, through Dawson's Go Love Tell initiative. And uh, he was a lobsterman by trade and a pastor on the weekends. Or he was a pastor all the time, excuse me. Um, but he, uh, he talked about how it was commonplace for the, the lobstermen, if you cross lines with somebody in your, in your lobster net, that it was commonplace for you to cut the other person's line and to leave yours intact. 
that no one was really overtly offended by that. It was just part of the industry and part of what they did. And he said that they started to distinguish themselves from other people because they would start sacrificing their own line instead of cutting other people's. And uh, everyone, everyone noticed they were doing that. Why would you do that? You know, you're, you're perfectly justified just to cut the line of someone else and uh, you know, save your own lobster trap. And uh, he said, no, the, the, the gospel informs me to do something different and to have some distinction. And um, that spoke to people. He had one of the most vibrant churches in downtown Portland. And uh, it, it was so cool to see in, in, in such a godless culture how just a simple act of, of living and loving your co-workers and the people around you sacrificially could communicate something so profound about the gospel. So we sacrifice because Christ sacrificed for us and we live forth from him and what he did for us. And man, that was powerful to people. Such a powerful testimony. And so think about that in your own vocation. Just because the culture says it's ethical or just because the culture says it's okay doesn't give us a, a license to not live out the gospel. Think about how transformative that would be in our world. If we took it upon ourselves to love people in light of the gospel, even when it violated the, the standard or the, uh, you know, the bottom of the wrong ethical code of our vocation. It's so, so powerful. Then we move on to, uh, to masters. It says to, um, to treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Uh, at first glance, I think about the uh, the Discover commercial. I don't know if you've seen it, uh, but the lady calls in the customer service line, and uh, it's another version of herself answering it, and it says, we treat you how you treat you. And uh, I think that's a great corporate policy to have. Um, granted, they're a credit card company, and so I don't know how much good I can say about them, but um, they have a great cashback bonus. Um, but they treat you how you would treat you, and getting yourself into a lot of debt. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, their, their customer service moniker is that we are going to treat you how you would treat you. And so this is what this passage is commanding us to do. If you are in a, a position of authority to treat those who are under you in the same capacity that you would want to be treated. And that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you don't have to come in at all on Fridays or you have to cut corners. And still we have the command to work heartily as if we were working for the Lord and not for man. But... Uh, as, as people in authority in a workplace, uh, it, it's so hard for us maybe to strike the balance of grace and truth. All right? it, it tells us in Scripture that Jesus is the perfection and the completeness of both of those things. Um, but uh, this passage is, is, is leading us and commanding us to, to learn, to, to lean into the gospel and to allow it to deform, inform our decisions. It's not necessarily saying, hey, be the cool boss. Or, hey, you know, be the, be the hardline boss who demands excellence in all things. Uh, you know, it, it, it's saying there, there's a balance there of loving people redemptively and, and, and to seek um, reconciliation and restoration in all things. There was a, I went to a, a, a Tim Keller sermon. He preached at Stanford a few months ago. Maybe some of you might have been there. But he was plugging his new book. Uh, or it might have been out for a little while. But it's called Every Good Endeavor. And it's about how uh, Christians should relate in, in light of vocation. And he told a story, because he pastors in Manhattan, about a woman who was working in the news industry. And uh, news industry is pretty cutthroat, as you can imagine. 
and um, she had a boss who, uh, you know, it, it's pretty commonplace for a boss to take credit for someone below them and allow it to, you know, boost them up and then cut the person and, uh, you know, be done with them. And her boss actually took the rap for her on something that she did wrong. And she went into his office. She said, "Why? Why would you do that for me?" He said, oh, you know, "Don't don't mention it. It's not a big deal." She said, "No, no, no. Like I want to know why in, in this in this industry where it's so commonplace for people uh, to to get taken advantage of. Why would you set yourself back in my place?" And he said, "Well," and he kind of reluctantly told her, "It's because I'm a Christian." And, um, you know, my, my, the, my faith informs me that, that I have to live sacrificially for others. That lady was saved. She said, I want to go to your church. And, and she went to, to Redeemer and, 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 and came and met Jesus because of the testimony of what that guy did and living out the gospel in his job. So for those of you who are in authority, keep that in mind. To love people redemptively. To love people that points in a way that points them towards the gospel. Show them the gospel through what you do and how you manage. And so as we kind of recap everything that we've been through today, um, throw, the, throw the main point up there one more time for us, Bo. We're to live out the gospel in all of our relationships, especially the hard ones. And so as you go home today, I want you to think about how can, how can I bear with a difficult child? Fathers, mothers, how can I forgive a parent, children? How can I put on love towards a boss that's unfair? For those who are bosses, how can I live sacrificially towards those who work for me? How can I be informed by the gospel? It's not rocket science. Paul, Paul gives us such a beautiful illustration through this passage. And the best part is that he's leading us through it. That we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we can live in this way. That in all of our hard relationships in life, when we, when we want to give up, Christ is an intimate ally in helping us live it out. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for this time and we thank you for the blessing of Father's Day. And uh, I think it's far too little to do just one day a year where we acknowledge the importance of fatherhood in our lives, most notably how we think about and view you. Father, thank you for fathering us. Thank you for sending your son so that we can call you father. Help us to live in such a way that reflects Christ and how we love others we conduct ourselves personally and everywhere in between. Just pray for the hearts of everyone in here today that we would go from here encouraged, built up, and strengthened by your spirit and nothing else. We ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.